Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Well, my name is Lou, and I am an alcoholic. <laughs> and then I got to really shock all of you. I'm also a drug addict. And I was at one time a triple addicted. I had an addiction to sex, but they ate took care of me. <laughs> Alcohol, and then turned the drugs, and old age took care of the sex. <laughs> now, I've got a little something I've got to do before I get started, Jerry. You know, Buck got up there this morning. I don't know how many of them were here, but there was almost this many. And uh, he had on that... Jackets, you know, with that bleeding deacon hard on it, and that tongue hanging out, necktie he had and everything. And I looked at him and I just thought to myself, boy, I, that, that is one of the old booze hounds. Well, I want you to meet the original booze hound. Here he is. <laughs> and his tongue hangs out just like that. <laughs> and he is a bleeding deacon because I sick him on all of you people that, uh, that have all this controversy, and he bites them too, because he's got one too, and I don't, I don't know, it must be made out of cotton because it doesn't make any impression. <laughs> but I'll have to tell you, just like I always tell everybody, that uh, if you don't want to hear about God, well, I won't get mad if you leave, because that's what I'm going to talk about, because I'm going to talk about holding about all this nonsense. And, uh, I'm also going to talk about something that uh, some of you are going to get very angry about, and that's good because I like to step on your toes, and uh, I like to step on your head too when you get like that because bleeding deacons are the uh, lifeblood of uh, teaching tolerance in the programs of alcoholics and <laughs> Being the original bleeding deacon from way back, right, I would say that that's... Uh, that makes me qualified. You know, they got a song that's playing on the radio nowadays. Old Jerry Lee Lewis is beating that honky-tonk piano, and he says that, that he was there when rock and roll started, and he ought to know. Well, I was there when this thing started, and I ought to know. <laughs> Through the grace of God, and the help of some 10 million of you people, over a period of 46 years, <coughs> I have not found it necessary to take anything that would mind-boggle me. No chemicals whatsoever. And I think, and I believe, that I have the authority to stand here in front of you and say that I am a recovered alcoholic. You know, you have boggled my mind for the past two or three years because more and more and more, I hear more of it. I am an alcoholic and I'm going to suffer for the rest of my life. I am doomed. I will be every bit as long as I can live, I'm going to suffer. That is a crop. Because the program of Alcoholics Anonymous says recovery. You know, there's only 10% of you people who have ever read the big book. You might pick it up and glance through it. I just wonder if there's a one of you in here can tell me what the first sentence in the book Alcoholics Anonymous says. Can I get a volunteer? It says, we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless malady of the mind and body. Smoke that in your pot pipe. <laughs> if you don't cut out what you're telling me, I'm going to have to go out and make up about 10,000 signs instead of, but for the grace of God, I'm going to put on there abandoned hope, all ye who enter here, and put it on the doorway of every one of your groups. Because it seems that we have a generation of people that are thinking drink. 
recover when you think God. That's what the third step says. Do you notice there's only 5% of the people in that area that have ever taken the third step? Do you remember last night Frank sat up here and was talking about people with 20 years that were crying out to you and you couldn't hear them because they were suffering? I spent a number of years working with young people. And you know, young people are kind of funny. They grow up kicking and screaming year by year and they become old timers. <laughs> and you don't want to accept them. Because they are young. Would you believe that it was five years before they would accept me as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I was too young and I couldn't make it? I hadn't suffered enough. We had screening committees, you know. They they took you in this like you going to join the union. You had to pass the exam. <laughs> oh man! And like I say, I worked with the young people all over the world. I've traveled ninety-five thousand miles already this year talking to young people. And a guy asked me in Boston the other night, he said, you send him any young people's confidence? I said, hell, when you get as old as I am, all of them are young. <laughs> and you know, I guess I'm the only person in AA that has the right to be resentful. My righteous in, in indignation, you know. Have you got in? <laughs> but you see all these guys, these original ones, they died off and left me here. And here I am standing here and I'm supposed to know something I don't know a damn thing. <laughs> but I'll tell you about a few of the lessons that I learned in AA. You know, my friend over here, I look at her and I love her. Because she reminds me of back about, I guess it was 35 years ago. I was down in Louisiana, and they had called me in, the government of the state of Louisiana had called me in to try to sober up their governor, <laughs> Mr. Earl Long. Did you ever hear the Longs in Louisiana, the dynasty? Well, Earl had got drunk, and he was drunk, and they took him over and put him in the nut house in Galveston, Texas, and he called out the state troopers, and they came over there with their Tommy guns and busted him out. <laughs> The sign went off and everything happened. So the welfare department of the state there, they decided that they, they wanted me to do something about some of their patients too. So, but Earl did get sober, thank God. So they sent me to a little town of Opelousa. Now that's where all the Cajuns at, you know, that's down on the bayou where they have that jambalaya and all that kind of stuff. Boy, them people sure know how to eat. But anyway, I went down there to see this gal. She's black girl. Her name was Susie. I'll never forget it the longest day I live because I learned the greatest lesson in my lifetime. And like every other alcoholic, you know, I had to cop out. I had just started the first black group in the South, Lake Charles. And boy, you talking about it. Back in those days, it was something to start a black group in the South. But... We were meeting in this basement of this hard-shell Baptist church that was in lecture. And so you band to a black AA group meeting in the basement of a hard-shell Baptist church, you ain't never been to an AA group. <laughs> but I went over there. And I took Susie over there with me. I talked out. I said, Susie, I said, uh, you know, I may not be able to tell you all this stuff. The way that you'd understand, I'm going to take you over in the temple. So I took them over. Well, they took Susie on, and boy, they worked her over for about an hour and a half. And it was storming, God, it was rent. One of those regular stomp movers, you know, frog strangers. Got it. And we left there, and we drove about 40 miles down the road. Not a sound out of Susie, not a thing. And I'm straining my eyes through the windshield trying to see this black top road. And they had no center lines on the things back then, and all this beautiful reflection stuff. No. Just plain old black road in, in Louisiana, if you get off that blacktop, you've had it to train. And about 40 miles, 
felt a tap on my shoulder, and I said, yes, Susie, what is it? She said, Mr. Luce, said, I want to tell you something. She said, I've been thinking this over, and I don't believe I need the whole treatment. <laughs> How many of you really deep down think you don't need the whole treatment? Just think about it. It took me 30 years to realize what that girl was talking about. And she was a lot smarter than I was. And I was the expert. Now there's a lot of things that we get involved in in that area. We go along and we got the first step in this program. And the first thing it did is shot your courage. And don't let anybody tell you that Bill Wilson wrote 12 steps because there's a 12 step of the Ignatian Society of the Catholic Church for Retreat. That's what they are, <laughs> if you want to know the whole truth about it. Not exactly the same words, but you, they've been paraphrased. But uh, you put it together and you look at it, and he put that python in the middle. And for an alcoholic to put a hyphen in the middle of something, it's just about like building a wall like that right back there. Incidentally, I don't know where Burt Reynolds' decorator got in here, but this looks just like Burt's bedroom. It's just black and red and orange and what have But anyway, they put this hyphen in there and they built this wall. And he skipped right over. You know, we got some grapevine people here, and I'll tell you something, they wrote they had a little thing in the grapevine, I believe it was last April sometime then. Maybe a year ago, something like that. And he said, out of being old timer, it says, Don't drink, ash, don't die. He put a hyphen in there. Boy, there's a lot in between those two words. Hope I get them completed before I get to the last part of it. But anyway, uh I was sober alcohol. Never realizing that it says that our lives have become unmanageable. So where are we? And then to give you a cop out, you know, it's far greater than ourselves, and everybody come along and they say, well, that's pretty good. I got an HP. Let me tell you how you recover. by asking for help. You know, Bob Schuler, this guy on television and everything, wrote this book, Be Happy Attitude, it's the biggest seller in the country today. Bob Schuler stole their 12 steps because he said the first be attitude is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he says the first thing is that he says, I can't do anything without my hair itself, I've got to have help. What's that but the first step? Of course, he's got seven groups out there in that cathedral. I like him. He's a good man. <laughs> but we need help. So what happens? You know, this is an anonymous program, so I've got to be anonymous about this thing. You know, I told you I was going to talk about God, but I'm going to be anonymous as I can. You know, there was a partner one time. His name was J.C. And... Uh, he come a little town Galilee, so. <laughs> and he says he's going out and be a preacher. <laughs> so he says, I've got to have some help. So he goes down and he gets him a bunch of drunk fishermen and crooked tax collectors. <laughs> so I'm going to pick these people up. Run around three years and they still didn't know anything. That's not like I spent 15 minutes telling Buck everything in here and he's still done. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this bunch of drunks, you know, they, and they weren't because everybody called them wine beers. They, they're drunks. I can just see them. They was laying out the boat one night. They wasn't fishing. They was out there swilling on them wine packs. <laughs> oh, man. And he wasn't there. And they didn't have no rowboats, you know, to shuttle back and forth with, so he decided he'd just go out there, and he went slice, 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 walk across this lake, you know, 
old Peter, he boy, he must have been a real alcoholic, right? Because he looked over the side down and said, Look here, here he comes. He said, Hey man, I'll be right there. He jumped over the side. <laughs> old Thomas reached over and knocked John in the rib and she said, Look that crazy fool, he's gonna get drowned. <laughs> and sure enough, he went under. <laughs> now he didn't get out the book of common prayer, and he didn't get his rosary out and count up and beats and everything. He hardly helped me. And the carpenter reached down and picked him up, and uh, that's all it takes in this broken rock all tonight. It's helping. You know, they talk about getting down on your knees and everything. You can be on your knees, you can stand on your head, you can be flying around in an airplane, and you can be under the sea. It don't make no difference. Just say help me. A woman told me the other day, she said, you know, I was going down the highway. And she said, now I just think, she said, but you know, I can't pray except on my knees. I said, well, what did you do? She said, I prayed. I said, boy, you must look stupid running down one of those expressways 60 miles an hour over that other seat on your knees. There. And you know, that car. But uh, she said, no, that wasn't the way it was. I said, well, say what you mean. Or mean what to say or something. Because really, prayer is an attitude. But help me. Two words. You know, when I first came into this program, they told me if I'd ask for help every morning, I'd get it. And I was a screwball. I was young, and I was smart, and I was loud now. And I always had to have some kind of a gimmick. You know, just like this gimmick to get back at room. So I went out and I bought me a 98-cent pocket bin watch. Any of you remember 98-cent pocket bins? That's been a long time ago. You love the date yourself to do it. But anyway, you had to wind them every day or they'd run down. And every morning I'd wind this watch and I'd say, help me. If I went to 10 o'clock in the morning and forgot to wind it, it'd run down. And I didn't know what time it was and it scared the pants off of it. <laughs> I wore that 25 winding stand before I ever got to have it. Say, help me. But it worked. I know some of you are familiar with old Father Fowler, you know, Father Don Dole. I broke his hand in him to dinner. Well, he's dead. It don't make any difference. He's like Bill. Bill's dead. It don't make any difference. He's dead. But anyway, uh, we were rambling around the country. This was back before they got the young service going, you know. Ralph looked a short guy about like this, and he's cockeyed. This cockeyed is big. He'd be looking over here, and he's looking right straight at you, and he's talking all the time, but he had to turn his head like this, like he's in the world. And we came back down to Milwaukee. I noticed there's some people here from the Green City, huh? And uh, he said to me, he said, what results did you get? We'd been making a survey everywhere we went, asking everybody to have a slip if they'd asked for help that morning. And I said, hey, nobody. It has to help wherever. He said, I got one guy here in Milwaukee. And I said, what did he say? He said, well, he said that he did ask for help. And I asked him, what did he ask for? And he says, well, he says on the morning that he had this slip, he had God to let him not get hurt on this slip he was going on. <laughs> sure enough, he did. So there must be something to this. I began more and more to realize that. You know, I come, like she said, I come from down in Tennessee, and uh, and she didn't know that George Dickens' distillery was in the hometown of her husband, either. But that's where they make that Tennessee sipping whiskey. Now, i never seen no sipping whiskey in my life, and I come from Tennessee. <laughs> and I have made it and everything else. I've seen some gulping whiskey and some working whiskey, but never any sipping whiskey. But anyway... I came from down there, but I came from over a little further in the east there. And my family were the founders of the Church of God, which is also the Church of God of Prophecy and all that. Not the one that Herbert Armstrong got out in California, but the, the one that over here. In fact, they used to have their headquarters up here at Anderson, Indiana. But anyhow, uh, they always told me I was going to hell. 
And I was just a kid. Now, I'm not going to give you a drunk log. I, yeah, well, I'll tell you my drunk log right quick and get it over with before I start into this. But I was born, got drunk, got in trouble, got in AA, and got sober. Now, that's all drunk log yet. <laughs> Now that we got that out of the way, I can go on to hell like I <laughs> But anyway, uh, everything I did, I was going to hell. It didn't make any difference what it was. I was wrong anyway at times. And it was so dry down there that, and we're right in the middle of the Bible Belt, and I mean in the middle too. And in this little town of Cleveland, Tennessee, every other door was either a preacher or a bootlegger. And so it so happened that I had a next-door neighbor as a bootlegger. And I'm five years old. I got five brothers and five sisters, and four of them died of alcoholism. So very early, I found out what booze was. But I found a loose board on the barn of this neighbor. And I crawled into this barn, and I found heaven. The elixir of the gods. Five, five gallon damage of real moonshine. And I'm five years old. Now what is a five year old going to do with a big jug like that? Well when he has a keen alcoholic mind, and he's a genius to start with. <laughs> he's going to figure out a way. Well, my brothers had taught me how to make kites. See, we flew kites in my day. And I mean, we flew them. And we made them. We built them. With flower paste and old newspapers and pigweed sticks. Now, pigweed, you know, is the weed grow out in the pig pens and they're about so high and they're hollow. And being the genius that I was, I went out there and got me a pigweed. I stripped the leaves off of it. Broke it. Put it down in the damage gun. And went to heaven. <laughs> and you know, I stayed home until I was 13 years old, and my mother wondered always why it was that her child was always puking. <laughs> but they finally ran me away. They drove me away because they told me I was going to hell. And this was back during the Depression. And sure enough, I went to Chicago. <laughs> now I want to apologize to all you people from Chicago because it's a pretty good place now but I'll tell you what you can get killed on any given corner back then uh, without even asking for it you can get killed on any corner right now by asking for it but <laughs> there's a little bit of difference but anyhow I went to Chicago and I was going I said to myself I'm never going to be involved in this thing anymore, and I'm really going to do it up right. I'm going to become the world's greatest artist. As I told you, I was a genius. They hadn't pulled a rug out from under me yet. So I went to the Art Institute of Chicago. I got me a job working days, and I went to school at night. And I graduated from the Art Institute of Chicago, drunk. Then I went to Chicago Academy of Fine Arts, and I graduated from there drunk. I became an M.A., you know, that was a master of alcoholism, not a master of arts, I don't believe. <laughs> I think that master's degree was on something else. And I got rich. I'll tell you what, if Picasso had only known it, Alcoholics Anonymous ruined the only competition that he ever had because I sold a million dollars worth of DTs on canvas. <laughs> and you people ruined my career. <laughs> God, those things are off. I saw one not too long ago. <laughs> Almost like back when I was a kid, I was about to up joke. But anyway, you ran my career. But I went to New York. I was a wheel. I had money. 
And this was back when you could buy them modest eight Ford automobiles for $559. And where did I go when I went to New York? I didn't go down to Greenwich Village with them starving artists down there. I moved down to 737 Park Avenue, which ain't very far from where the headquarters is right now. Up with the millionaires. And I drank the best. And I wound up with the rest. <laughs> and I still say that I the, was the richest guy that ever came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I had a $50 million roof over my head when I came into the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> I felt like I had about as much money as Joe Cage. But I swear to you. And he's got it all then. He's got it all. He's got more than Bank of America, World Bank, and all the rest. But anyway, to show you how rich I was, any other country music fans? I guess there's got to be a few of you here. But you remember old Johnny Cash had a song about Sunday morning coming down where he went and put on his cleanest, dirty shirt and all that. Walked across the park. Nothing so awesome that Sunday morning in a city and everything. And I woke up and I had one lousy quarter. Buck was talking about he went to this meeting and his shirts had gotten so deteriorated so they were spit and everything and he was going to put on the coat so that it would uh, cover it up. The man wouldn't let it. I didn't have a coat to cover it up. Because I went from 737 Park Avenue to under the Brooklyn Bridge sleeping on those steel beams. I guess you'd call that sleep. <laughs> I don't know what it But anyway, I go down to this delicate test. He knew me. Sunday morning. I said, got a quarter of one yet. He said, a quarter beer. Now, you people had it easy. You didn't have to suffer like I did, because all that stuff back then, we didn't have these nice coolers, see. It was down in the ice and the water, and the labels were stuck on with glue, and oh, it's that gooey in there. It stunk like a pig pen. And uh, that made it taste good, I guess. He gave me the... Take my quarter first, you know, about like McDonald's and all that. He's going to get the money before you see the merchandise. And he puts this quarter beer in a paper sack. And I go around the corner there. I just had 30 days for drinking from a common bottle and being smart and young and sassy like I was. The lady judge, first lady judge ever saw my life. She says, you were charged with drinking from a common bottle. And I said, lady, that wasn't no common bottle. That was a whiskey bottle. She said, that'll be 30 days. <laughs> And I had just completed it. Seven stamps out in the nut warrior. Reflex, you know, that's the aversion treatment. I had been peraldehyded and put into ice packs and I'd done everything. And I got a certificate that says I'm sane. I got that. <laughs> but anyway, here we were. And I go around the corner to the ash can and I'm looking around to see if it's not a any of the fuzz around anywhere, because I didn't want to do another 30 days, and I put this cap up on the can, and I hit it like that to knock the cap loose, and my life went through the bottom of that wet paper sack and broke in the sidewalk and ran over the curb. And I was dead stuck. You talking about bleeding deepens. I bled to death right there. White blood, you know, that foam running over the side. And I'm sitting there and I can't move. And a little old guy with a big nose and no chin. And then when he's, what that Maurice Chevalier used to wear these sailor straws, and come down the street and he's whistling and it's on a Sunday morning. I could have spit in his eye. And he looked at me. He wasn't very tall, but he looked at me. I'm down there on the curb, you know. And he said, what's the matter, buddy? I couldn't even speak. I just like that. And he said, come to me. I know where we can get a drink. 
Now, do you think I asked him what country club he belonged to? <laughs> or what were his antecedents? Was he a fit companion for me to drink with? Hell no, you thought I had some of them the spring-loaded shots on me. I come up in there like a jack-in-the-box. And he walked me 40 miles down the street. Must have been at least three blocks. And we went through this little old hallway and back into this room. The big old skylight up here and there's a stairway going up there. Here's this place. Got a little bar like thing there. He's got a coffee pot sitting on his couch and chair. And he said, sit down there. I'll be right back. So I sat there for about three hours and a half. must have been about 15 seconds, probably. And finally, these two old birds are sitting over here. I found out later one of them was named Tom, and he was a retired fireman. And I sat there, dying. Finally, I said, where in the hell did he go? And the guy said, why? I said, well, he's supposed to go get a drink. I said, i got news for you. This is where you quit drinking. See, they just opened the 24th Street clubhouse. And he'd gone upstairs to get Bill. And here come this guy down the steps there, and he had a little grave getting his temples. And he was pretty young then, too. A little older than I was. Not any smarter. <laughs> and he says to me, he says, what seems to be your trouble? And I said, I don't have any trouble. He said, well, what's your problem? I said, don't have any problem. I'm just looking for a drink. He says, well, maybe that's your problem. And I had never thought of that. <laughs> you know, I like words, you know. A play on words will teach you an awful lot if you listen. There's a lot of people that listen but don't hear, you know. You hear but don't listen or something, I don't know what it means. And he told me about this. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, but I don't think you make it just to you. God, that went all over me. He said, let's go upstairs and pray about it. I said, oh my God, I'm home again. <laughs> you know, that was back in the days when they made you get down on your knees and let it all hang out. Oh man, like one of them holy roller revivals. Uh-uh, I couldn't take any part of that. But I went along with it. And that guy that brought me in there was Eddie. Three days later, Eddie's got drunk. That went on for a long time. And finally, the 25th anniversary convention, well, I asked him, I said, I don't know why in the hell it is, but I'm too young, and I've been sober 20 years, and you still drunk. And he says, I don't know. But he finally got sober. And things went this way and that way and the other way. And uh, along at that time, there was a guy by the name of Adolf Hitler that started stirring up things around the world. And there's one thing that I'll be eternally grateful for because I hated the Oxford group with a passion because they had them four absolutes. And there ain't nobody can absolutely be sure that they're going to do what them absolutes said. And I was worried, see. But here I am, I'm sober, and my keen alcoholic mind, see, while I'm going to school, I'm also in the National Guard, and I got myself a reserve commission in the United States Army Reserve. And when they activated the National Guard, well, I got myself a few lives together, being alcoholic and having this keen alcoholic mind, and I said, I'm not going with that foot slogging infantry, they ain't going to make it. So I resigned and on a dependency. Now, I didn't have no dependence, but I resigned on a dependency. I lied like a snake. And to show you how my keen alcoholic mind works, and the way that I'm so smart, see, I'm a genius. you got to remember this. And I want you to remember that just how smart I am. So, they accepted it. But then I got a letter from the word that said that I'm going to have to do something because it looks like we're going to get into a shooting war. And I said, well, I'll beat this. So I went down to New Orleans and meanwhile I'd come back down to Tennessee and try to start an AA group and four guys committed suicide and I got disgusted and 
<laughs> so I went down to New Orleans and I walked in and I sold all my papers on here having them best and I said, Where you got one? He says, Boy, he says, I agree you got it. He says, I'll set you right up. I says, I don't want a part of this foot flogging empty. He says, that, that's all right. He says, with your qualifications, I've got the job. You know what he did? He gave me a demolition unit with the Marine Corps. Smart. Smart. Now that's, that's, that's about the story of my life. Every time that I got smart, I got out smart. So the war was over, and meanwhile, when they, during the war, well, they decided, well, we're going to do this underwater demolition stuff, see? So they called me in and said, it's up to you. This is a do-it-yourself thing. We don't know nothing about it. You go out and do it. And I did. I didn't have any more sense. But the war was over, and I managed to survive. And uh, I'd gotten pretty well acquainted with God then, you know, because me and him had some awful good conversations during that war. Especially when I was down under that water and them things was blowing up, you know. I, me and him got pretty close. They say there ain't no atheists and foxholes. They wasn't any of them under that water either. <laughs> but anyway, I come back, and I, I got interested in in the church and everything. Meanwhile, I'm traveling all over everywhere, and uh, so they called me up and said that we're going to make a movie about your unit, and we want you to come out to Hollywood. And I could just see my name in lights. <laughs> all these search lights. You know, alcoholic ego. And I go out there, and I find out right quick. You see. I wasn't for starving. <laughs> And, uh, but I kept working at the thing, and I spent 35 years working at it. I was both an actor and a cameraman. I, I shot so much underwater film, I got so waterlogged. I've been so waterlogged until I tell you what, they say water rust pipe. I don't believe because mine, mine would have been rusted out a long time ago. But anyway, uh, things went along and I got interested in churches. So, uh, not the one that I came up in. I, I still, I still a little bit shied off from there. And lo and behold, one day they ordained me as a minister. And they've been threatening to defrock me ever since. <laughs> but, I've never mixed my religion up with my AA. Now, I don't like that word religion because voodooism and communism and all that, they're forms of religion. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, people tell me, say, well, you know, we go to church now and say, it's just like an AA meeting. I said, that's the way it was a long time ago. You just listen. And uh, things got all right. You know, I got... I got the wife I married a long time ago. I married an orphan. She didn't have nowhere to go, and she's been there for 50 years. <laughs> God knows how she survived it. <laughs> but she's a swell person. And I, I managed to survive. And I have made an awful lot of friends. I've watched 10 million people come in and out the doors of this thing. And I've known so many of them. Personally. I guess I know right now, you know, we talk, I was talking in the beginning about young people. You know, AA is young people. You know? And don't sell them short. They've got the energy, they've got the ambition, and they hurt just as bad as you do. And they love you. If you don't believe it, there's that guy right there when Frank got up here last night said, I love you, Frank. Sure. You know why? Because we do. See that dog? That dog's like AA. You know what you do? 
You take a dog and you're the low down drunk in the world and you ain't worth two cents and you'll kick that dog and he'll bounce off the wall and he'll come back over and lick your hand. He loves you. Hey, hey, that's us too. This God we talk about, this loving God in our tradition that may express himself in our group conscience, he loves you too. There is no way in the world that you are going to get drunk if you thank God instead of thinking drink. As long as you think drink, you're going to drink. That's the reason Frank's talking about these people 20 years or more. You can stay dry for 20 years on the first half of the first step. And the ego that I was just showing you that I've got. Here's the excuse. I'm a human being. As long as I was a human being, I was drunk. When I became an alcoholic, I got sober. You don't like the word alcoholic. Hell, they called us dipsomaniacs. <laughs> I thought it was a great compliment when they told me I was an alcoholic. I've got a high school group down in Tennessee. In this same town where this church that I was talking about sent me to hell, in the school system in one hour each state of a class period is allotted to an AA meeting for 255 high school kids. And they say you can't talk about God in school. And they say you can't do that. I said, look, I'm not, I'm not doing any God stuff. This is an alcohol and drug use program. Sneaky. He and I'll go always find. Make a law and I'll find a way to break it. And I got news for you. Did you know that you have been ruled by the Supreme Court as a religious organization? You didn't know that, did you? You sure have. They kicked us out of the VA because they said you can't have a VA compulsory program. And who did it? A guy that spent four and a half years getting sober in AA and he founded the American Atheistic Conviction Association and he took us to court. And we are now, as far as the Supreme Court of the United States is concerned, we're like churches now. We're being persecuted. Thank God we are because we can get back to one-on-one again where we ought to been all the time. You know, they talk about in the beginning, 12-step work. We didn't have any 12-step work as far as Bill and Bob were concerned. They wouldn't talk to you unless you was on the hospital bed. But they told us you've got to give it away. So what we do? We went down to Harold Square Bar and drug them off the stools and said, come and listen to us or we'd be hell out of it. <laughs> we didn't get nobody sober, but we sure got a lot of work now. I don't know what, where we come from and where we go. And it really doesn't make any difference. Everybody's saying, A.A.'s going to be, said A.A.'s going to be destroyed if it's destroyed, it'll be from the inside. You can't destroy A.A. from the inside. Because it's a God-given thing, you can't destroy God. Now that's all my sermon for right now. I'll tell you some more. <laughs> but anyway, you're not going to do it. Because these young kids are going to see that you don't. They've got something and they want it and they're going to keep it. And by golly, they're just selfish enough to keep it too. We sat down there the other day, and this will put you to shame. All you older people. We sat down in Miami the other day. International Conference of Young People and Alcoholics Anonymous. And when the conference closed, we gave Gordon Patrick a check for $7,480. How many conferences with the old timers do that? We don't even spend in our dollars a year. 
They're going to break me yet. I got to get $46 some more. <laughs> Bad people. But just think, young people. Some of those young people that started 29 years ago in the International Conference, young people in Alcoholics Anonymous are the old times today, and they're still tired. Sitting right in this room is the mayor man of the International Conference. Young people in alcoholics and And I'm proud to know him. I'm proud to call him my friend. He called me up the other night before I came up here and he said, What time are you going to speak? I said, Why? You want to be doing that? Oh, boy. But that's the way it goes. There's, there's so much that goes into this program and so much that we can do. And a conference like this. It's where it's at. Because this is the working of alcoholics tonight. And told me that we should have more workshops. That he had a question that they had posed to him to put to the workshop as to whether we should have a dress code in that area or not. Sure, we should have a dress code in AA. Come as you are. <laughs> when I came in here, mine was hanging out. You just look what's that? That's 46 years. Give a 10 sack suit. But, got us. Went in satin line. Some people sick or others. <laughs> you know, I was up in Boston at this conference up there, and there's something going on sometimes in these conferences. I don't know about this. And this guy came over and gave me a little red rose. And I spoke Saturday night, and this gal came up and gave me a little yellow rose. Now, I thought the red was for love and the yellow was for friendship. Now, there must have been something going on there that I didn't know about because, you know, we had a big problem in AA. And I almost ruined AA and almost blew it. It almost folded. Because there was 13 of us in a 24-seat clubhouse and we were having a meeting, the regular round robin. It wasn't a discussion, it was more of a knockdown and drag out crawl. And uh, this guy come walking in off the street and he says, uh, My name's Tom and I have a problem other than alcohol. Mm. And they said, We can't have one of them in here. That's what you do, the AA. You're a pure alcoholic. <laughs> pure alcoholic. And being young and smart and loud mouth and a real genius that I was, I suggest how many of you guys are straight. And that almost folded it right there because everybody started looking at each other and they started backing off. <laughs> And then it wasn't long until this gal walked in off the street. They knew it. She worked that territory for about five years. We can't have that. We're pure alcoholics. And I said, I don't understand why, because every one of you has been a customer for the last five years. <laughs> That's the only thing that'll ever destroy AA, being judgmental. Now, you know they say don't take the other fellow's inventory. I don't agree with it. 
Go ahead and take it, because you recognize false the man you've got him, or you wouldn't know it. And don't cover it up by saying, I'm just observing. <laughs> oh, man. You know, there's so much going on in this whole world that we don't know where we're at. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how much time's up there. Let's see what we got here. Oh, boy. Isn't it already open? Well, you know, I have a thing here. I've got to take up another minute of time. I've got here somewhere. Where it is? Can't find anything anymore. Yeah, it is. You know, I guess I've had about 10 million of these things printed. And I've been giving them out for years. Look, thank you. And it says on here, A, it won't keep you from going to hell, nor does it kick hell. But it keeps you sober long enough to make up your mind which way you want to go. <laughs> and you know, like I told you, I'm a, I'm a preacher, and I'm supposed to be in this North American Christian convention that's going on. You've got 55,000. Christians in here. I don't know how many hypocrites, but they six five thousand of registered. And uh, like I say, I'm a minister in the Christian church, and I am ordained as a minister to alcoholics. And I don't pull my punches when I talk to them about what they're doing in the church community. And you know, in our church, when we all get through with the sermon, well, we invite people to come down, you know. And Set the hand of fellowship and join in with everything. You can say war stuff, you know, by dipping in the water. And uh, we've got a great habit, some of them have, where they'll say, Well, I want you to please, I want you to please. I can't do that. I'm not going to beg I say, If you want, if you if you don't, you can go to hell. <laughs> now, I have just tried to show you something about what this program is. And if you want it, we got it. If you don't, you can go to hell too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.